Welcome, everybody, to the green team of the Legendarium podcast. We are back with Robin Hobb, and we're doing the Tawny Man trilogy. With me today, as usual, my cohorts, Kipton. Heyo. And Sean. Hey. And I am Yeti Beats, and uh, we're ready to be depressed. <laughs> it's been uh, since March or April since we've been on the hob train boys we're back for more we're back with uh fits and um yeah i i guess i'll say this 48 hours ago kip you were 20 percent in uh this fool's errand and yesterday i assume you were 25 percent in but you finished today i was like 40 percent in <laughs> yesterday okay. close so you somehow marathoned this book uh practically in a day and um, yeah, what were you, or I guess before we get to spoiler free thoughts, what were your kind of relationship to Fitz in Farseer and that trilogy? Because we never really talked about, we just started with Live Ship. So in my original three, I had a very strong relationship with Fitz. I read those three in succession at about a pace that I read the book today and yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, and they broke me on sad stories for a good couple months. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe after this I'll do some rereads of stories how I know how they end, and where I know the characters survive, and where they get their happily ever afters with the people that they love. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I feel like that's a normal positive reaction from Hob fans who like Farseer. Like, I loved it. It broke me. <laughs> yeah. M Mr. Depressed Loner Boy is a great main character for some people. Uh, sign me up. Sad boys. That's all I want from fantasy. Just can't get enough. Sean, what did you think of uh, Farseer and Fitz? How, was he your boy? Was he annoying? How was he? Yeah, so, I mean... I'm already on the record as t for being a, a big hobhead. So obviously Farseer was something I, I also enjoyed a lot. Um, different than live ships in that it's a singular POV and a bit of a different setting, different scope. But it's still Hob doing what she does best, and that is character relationships. They're just all stemming from Fitz's POV. But a uh, big fan of all the characters in that original trilogy. I enjoy following Fitz. I enjoyed following him here as well. So yeah, big Farseer fan. I will shill it and recommend it whenever I can. I also really like how the characters have very lopsided mental attributes. For example, a lot of them are extreme idiots in some parts of their lives. And it mm. results in tragedy. Yeah. That is actually a good point. But they're like idiots in a natural way, though. It's like, you oh, know, it's not, yeah. it's not like a horror movie idiots where it's like, what are you walking through that door for? Why are you making that romantic decision? It's like, that is a natural thing for a young boy to do who is <laughs> uh, face trauma. Uh, that's a natural thing for Fitz to do. It describes every decision he ever makes. <laughs> yeah, I think Fitz is an idiot in like most ways, while characters like Burrick 
and the fool can be dumb in like a singular way that is their downfall. But Fitz is just like, yeah, where, wherever, whatever he tries to do, he usually, usually struggles. But that was part of the fun. I, I think so. But I also, I think it turns a lot of people off from Hob, or it definitely has. Like it, literally the exact thing you guys said we like about it. Fitz's yeah. idiocy really rubs people the wrong way. <laughs> oh, oh my god, he's such an idiot. <laughs> um, True. Yeah, so, well, real quickly, did you, I think we all both enjoyed live ship more than Farseer? Probably accurate. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that. Right. I don't feel the need to pick a favorite there, but I would say which is probably true. I definitely feel the need. I will live ship. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Uh, Okay, so then knowing that, that we both really liked Farseer, what was your, I guess, Kip, what was your impressions on Fool's Errand and maybe even what you were expecting Fool's Errand to be, knowing that it would be Fitz sometime later in his life and how that kind of lived up to what you expected. I just want, I heard Fool's Errand and I knew that Fitz was there. And so I was like, ooh, is this going to be a studio gay romance? Good question. I mean, question is still up in the air until I finish this trilogy. Yeah, exactly. That's why I kind of just stayed silent. Yep. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about it more in the uh, spoiler section, but... All right, so um, did, did you have a rating for it, uh, the first book? Uh, for this first book, I'd give it a solid four. I feel like it, was, I feel like it introduced a whole bunch um, and caught people up on things, but truly the first 40% of this book is set up, so I can't treat it as a book in its own right. How dare you? I love that setup. <laughs> the book. Um, yeah. What about you, Sean? Did uh, this is your first reread? So well, Kip hasn't I, ever read this trilogy, and you have. Yeah, I, I did not reread this book in preparation oh, for this recording. I read it between April tenth, two thousand twenty. Sorry, between March twenty first, two thousand twenty one, and April tenth, two thousand twenty one. So it's been about a year and a half. Um, Fresh. Yeah. Enough. Uh, but I did give it five stars as per my Goodreads rating. Um, nice. And I, I think I'll stand by that because since I read Fool's Errand and Tawny Man as a whole, I often said that Fool's Errand is in contention for my favorite Hob book. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I I probably still stand by that. Um, I can go up to a four point (laughs) five. Yeah. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Like it's definitely top three, probably top or yeah, definitely top three. Even, but yeah, it could be number one. It's hard to decide, but so I I really like Fool's Errand. I do. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm, so I'm kind of thrown by that. that it's, I, it's up there for me, too. But for some reason, I thought um, another book in this trilogy would be your favorite. But 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was it'll just... probably be mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people, like you said, do, um, well, they really love it. The beginning is, I mean, we'll talk about it, but there is a noticeable just kind of stagnation for the first mm-hmm. portion of this book. Um, but for me, I loved it. I gave it five stars. I, I don't, I'm not going to spoilers, but I really could have spent double the amount of time we did in the first section. And we spent a lot of time in that first section. <laughs> um, just, I think it that could have been its of, own book. If that bit had been its own book, I don't think it would have had a real plot, but yeah. Just, yeah, just, yeah. Just hearing stories of the in-between Farseer and this book, I would have listened to, <laughs> listened to them all day. Uh, Rick, but yeah, for me, I, I, this was a five star for me. I'm pretty easy grader when it comes to hub. I'm pretty sure the first nine books were like five stars. So, uh, that's not very much saying anything. I think rain wilds was the first time I gave one of them a four star, uh, four star rating, which is yeah. shameful, but still, um, so yeah, I had a great, I reread this. I had a great experience doing it. I, um, definitely saw. A lot of the seeds that Hob was planning throughout this book, like it's, yeah, it's it's so clear what was going to happen at the end of this book with some characters. You're like, <laughs> uh, um, so it's good. And knowing how this trilogy ends, you see a lot of seeds planted in that regard too. So uh, she's great. I, I can't say much negative about Hob, which will make a interesting podcast, I'm sure. But all right, should we get into the? Boiler zone. Boiler zone. Sure. Well, I wrote up this nifty little recap. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try to blaze through it. All right. Fool's errand. We return to the world of Fitz 20 years after the events of Farseer. Fitz is living the cabin life with a visibly old night eyes, an adopted son mishap. Well, Hap, but his full name is Mishap, which is hilarious. And his biannual booty call, Starling. <laughs> Fitz is then visited by his past, first in Chade, and then, gloriously, in the Fool. Both try to persuade him to return to Buck. Eventually, Fitz returns on a plea from Ketrakin to find her son and his dutiful. He's gone missing, and Fitz's skill is the only way to find him. Fitz bids adieu to Hap and leaves with Night Eyes the Fool and Huntswoman Laurel on an adventure filled with no sadness or complexity at all. Uh, he turns out the piebalds, witted folk, have duped Dutiful into following them for a seemingly righteous cause. Except the hunting cat he's bonded to actually has a dead woman inside the cat, ready to pounce into the prince's body. Fitz does some torture, bonds with his verity-made son, loses his best friend, but at the end of the day, he saves Dutiful, decides to return to Buck as Skillmaster, and is definitely not at all traumatically punished. Yeah. So, I think for, like when you're, like Sean was saying, he hasn't read the book in, what, over a year? Mm-hmm. I think it's okay because the plot's pretty straightforward. I mean, yeah. you know, it's we catch up with Fitz at the cabin for 40%. Uh, he's lured back into his old setting, and then he goes on an adventure to save Dutiful. Yeah, I think that's the most basic 
plot structure of any Hob book so far. Yeah. Right. Like, a lot of my notes are, like, they just follow the one main storyline. And I mentioned multiple times throughout my note-taking as, as I read it that the plot structure was straightforward. But, but I think it was effective. I feel like a bunch of people could pick up this book as their first uh, Farseer book and be happier than if they picked up Assassin's Apprentice. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so much easier to be thrown into that. I mean, where Assassin's Apprentice, you're thrown into like the mind of a boy who yep. doesn't know what's going on, which means the reader doesn't know what's going on. Um, you know, even even if you don't know the characters in this book, you're like you can tell Shade and the Fool is someone special that fits who is from his past, and they kind of catch up on that stuff anyway. Um, so, so let's start with the beginning. Let's start with where we find Fitz. He's living a solitary life at this cabin or cottage, just chilling with his dog, Wolf. And he has a son now, and he's just kind of doing a bunch of nothing. What did you, and what did you guys think? Start with Kip. What did you think of that being, I don't know, 25, 20% of the book? 15% of the book, yeah. Um, well, we've got 15 years of Fitz to catch up on. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of backstory and like lifestyle changes to get explained to us through. I do like when the fool comes in and like you start getting this nighttime story session thing going yes. on. That's a lot of fun. But at the start, you just get like, oh, this is his cabin, and he's let himself go a bit, and he has apparently has some inks going as a side project. Oh. Everyone needs a hobby. Yep. Ink, chickens, neighbors. This is what fits out nowadays. Is ink like a big commodity back then? It makes it seem it was, like... It was very expensive. It was very rare. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you... <laughs> the fool was so impressed. He's like, you've got all these colors. You make a good blue. Yep. Just like having an ink that wouldn't immediately destroy the paper it was on, or papyrus, or parchment, or whatever. Uh, was a big deal. Right. All Especially right. if it would last a few years. And Sean, did you enjoy that catch-up? I mean, I, I'm kind of with uh, Kip, where I could have listened to Fitz talk about his journey with Night Eyes all over Bingtown and wherever the heck, all day. But um, did you ever get restless during that period, or are you more than happy to kind of just sit with it? Uh, I definitely... I, I did not get restless. Um, I thought it was pretty comfy to kind of sit down with Fitz and yeah, get filled in, um, just get get his mindset as, as it's developed over the last 15 years. Um, there were a couple kind of like smart inclusions by Hob too that kind of made made it entertaining. Like when the fool is talking to Fitz about his time in Bingtown, um, it and the journey back. Yeah. And then in live ship, we get them doubting the existence of the dragons being awakened in the six duchies. And then <laughs> you, hear, you hear from the fall that, or, or Fitz then doubts that the rumors, doubts the rumors of the dragons hatching in the south. So I thought that was a little fun little tidbit. Even though the um, fool is the one telling him. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I doubt it. <laughs> now um, you're joking. You're joking with me. 
<laughs> to know that it felt happens the, twice. That felt the same way as the uh, the change pronoun from Live Shifts felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. But yeah, so it was even though it was low stakes, um, I felt very comfortable reading it and uh, hobbed it in an effective way. What did you guys think of? I guess just fits at this point, like what you expected him to be like for me it just seemed i don't think it was jarring but it was clear that this was a person who was just receded from life who and i think that it's kind of met he mentions it himself a few times where he's just he's kind of so or he says he's so glad to be away from kind of the responsibilities of being under someone else's like the fool and Ketrickin and Chade were always using him, and now he can finally just be his own man and do whatever he wants. And it kind of felt like that, but in a sad way, because he's not doing he's not doing anything, you know. Um at the end of the book, he's like, I thought that I could stay apart from court politics, and now I realize that that was essentially like asking someone to stay out of the rain for the rest of their life. Yeah, right. but yeah. Fitz Fitz likes being involved in all these things, no matter how much he complains about it. Right. And I think that's and I think you could feel that that he wasn't totally happy even in that situation. Like I said, he's got a kid, he's got his yep. best friend, he's got his booty call, as I mentioned, who would come and satisfy him in that way every so often. <laughs> like he yeah. seemingly has everything, you know, a, a good life, but he's not he's not even when Chade and Fool come and visit him, he has those quick twinges of wanting to know more about what's going on or you know or he does is tantalized by the idea of returning back to buck um so it's always been in it kind of reawakened that in him with their visit whereas before he's kind of living this sedated lifestyle which you know i think there's something to that where it's comfortable but it's he's not satisfied i thought that was really noticeable when you read that it runs out into the rain a lot this book yep and the excuse, the main excuse that he he uses as justification for for leaving is, oh, I need to teach the skill because I don't want them to end up how I did. And like, yeah, that's probably the excuse, but it also could have just been, you know, his excuse to himself as well and his his reasoning. When in reality, he just wanted to get back to to Buckkeep and maybe see some people that he misses. Right. Well, it's not even. It's not. You're definitely right. He would have used any excuse. I don't, I don't even think it was the skill. He just got that rider came and gave him a letter from Fade that the, he was definitely needed. And he like went straight back into old habit when he was a kid of taking orders from Chade. He's like, I got to go. I got to go. And being you terrible know? at hiding his pride. <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> terrible at that. And I really like the line where, where Chade first visits and they're sitting down. And I think Chade is really hurt by the, um, kind of essentially fits saying saying he doesn't really love Chade or something like that. And Chade is like, trust him. Well, that's it. He said, you don't, you're still a child. You're still so untrustworthy, you know? And it's like, of course he is. He hasn't, you know, throughout, you know, not that I'm a wise old man, but if you went from however old he was at the end of Farseer to just going on adventures by yourself with your wolf, with no responsibility for 20 years, you're not going to grow as a person. You didn't try you know, you're not going to create yeah. those bonds where you yep. would trust anyone except except your wolf. You know, he doesn't trust Starling. She's just obviously there for 
physical reasons and maybe emotional reasons. And Hap is, you know, he's doing his best as a father, but he doesn't know, you know. I think he even sees he's stunting Hap's growth where he's kind of hiding him out there. He's worried he's not going to be able to function in the real world, so. Yep, definitely is afraid of that. And Haps is a retirement policy, so that's got to succeed. <laughs> but um, that's why I, I think there's just so much in that first cabin area uh, that you could read into. That's why I couldn't get enough of it, just because you could, you weren't always told exactly what happened to Fitz those last X amount of years, but you could see what didn't happen or how it was affected him, how it's the person he is today, kind of. Yeah, there's a lot of subtext. Right. A lot of subtext that you can pick up on on a mild level, or if you're really in tune with Hob, you can pick up on an advanced level. That's why I think it's satisfying to read, even though not a whole lot's happening. Right. Yeah, literally. I mean, it's just walking around, getting visitors, getting accused by neighbors of stealing eggs or something, or chickens or something. Uh, So, yeah, I I also... I kind of like that that part, too, because... It shows the scene where Night Ice chokes on a fish or a fish bone. Yeah. And it goes, it shows how fragile Fitz is, who, how he just goes into a, he saves his life, but then becomes like a, incredibly protective of not wanting anything to happen to Night Eyes. Night Eyes is like, listen, <laughs> I think it's laying, setting the stone of him trying to over and over tell Fitz, like, I'm old. <laughs> You're going to have to prepare yourself for this. Um, but I like that. That was like the first kind of clues where it's like, okay, we know where this is going. I maybe thought it would have happened in the third book or something, but um, you know. No, 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 you see, Fitz did something drastic with his magic, and it didn't go horribly. So that's first book material. That's it's setting you up to think, oh, Fitz can do more things with his magic, and maybe it won't all go horribly. And that's what <laughs> I felt like this book was was setting up for me. Took long enough. It's funny you, you bring up his magic, uh, Kip. What did you think? So we learned that Kip's, or sorry, Kip, sorry, Fitz. You guys are kind of similar sometimes, right? No. I, I, uh, I made the mistake in my head earlier today. It's hilarious. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you guys all think so well of me. <laughs> um, but so he's dulling his magic, his skill, with um, some sort of elf bark. Is that yep. what it's called? That's elf so bark. I thought that was interesting that, again, he's, you know, having that magic is a type of responsibility and he's essentially putting it off and making sure it's not a part of his life. Yep. Which I thought was telling and interesting. He's, he's but... trying to kill it. He's trying to fits in that, in that cabin is slowly committing suicide and mm-hmm. slowly like planning more suicide steps. We see him. He's like, Oh, I wish I could give more of my life to night eyes because mm-hmm. he'd like use it more valuably. And that's not a healthy thought. No. It's not a healthy thought to will away your life to someone else because you think you're not worth anything. It's a lot of self-hatred. I mean, that's <laughs> like, I mean the amount of self-hatred Fitz has could fill, <laughs> could fill a building, you know? It's, it's yeah. So sad. But he like actually has the magical ability, which might make it a feasible thing for him to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> and at, he came very close to doing it in that chapter. And in chapter seven, or just killing himself flat out, right? <laughs> just yeah, no benefit, just killing himself. That's the kind of magic I expect Fitz to do. 
but he wouldn't do that while uh, uh maybe not i was gonna say he wouldn't do that while night eyes is around i feel like that's intentionally yeah intentionally yeah <laughs> yeah be more of a self-destructive thing yeah innate to him he's like oh i think i can do this and then poof no more fits <laughs> <laughs> but the fool wouldn't let that happen which this conversation got me thinking in chapter seven, the fool mentions how he like needs to keep keep Fitz alive. Um, you know, he's his catalyst, and that kind of shades the relationship a certain way, in my opinion. And that does kind of mirror Fitz saving Night Eyes because he's relying upon him for reasons as well. Hmm. And Night Eyes' reaction to that would maybe give an idea of how Fitz should react to the fool telling him that, but he's still kind of conflicted on that fact but there's an interesting parallel there yep yeah yeah good good that night eyes is like canonically the one person who can reach fits when he's feeling suicidal Mm -hmm. and it comes up uh multiple times in this book so we'll see who plays that role now i hope it's the fool but well yeah it comes up in the best chapter i think when (laughs) fits is about to torture that uh, that archer yep um but the big i the big difference again is like like you said sean the fool is using fits the fool loves fits he feels bad about it but he tells him straight up i am using you you are my catalyst i'm using you the only one in fits life, yep the only one in fits his life who hasn't used him uh is is night eyes yeah you know that's the only one who and so i think like kip said losing him is you know, I, it's it's funny. Is half using jump. him uh, for shelter and food and guidance? Uh, Do children use their parents for uh, shelter and food? It's a whole no- it's a whole another topic, but maybe <laughs> maybe I think a little bit, yeah. Because if you go and if you think about when he's talking about getting an apprentice, he doesn't straight out ask him to get the more expensive expensive apprentice, but he does. I feel like he does maybe unconsciously or not kind of guilt fit fits into not into getting him that one. We're saying that this is really the one he wants, but you know, I, I understand. I don't want to put you out of, I don't know. Maybe it's more dependent on fits than using him, but um, you know, and there's still plenty of books left anyway. Just say that. (laughs) I I was upset that Fitz didn't ask the fool for haps uh, like, apprenticeship payment when the fool was there mm-hmm. oh really yeah that like fist didn't even bring it up that's very emotional the first time he's seen him in so long and you know, he... yep and he saw the how wealthy and rich the fool was and like how ridiculous amount of coins uh the fool had access to Bing town's been nice to him baby and piracy, I'm, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved, though. Well deserved, oh, yeah. sure, sure. Went through a lot. I wasn't expecting that loot to come back so soon in the series. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. That he was uh, wearing the earring, Amber's earrings, riding up on a horse named Malta. Yep, that was a nice touch too. Got the crown yep. from Paragon. And then we out. saw the treasure shore. I uh, uh, I love that. Real quick, if um, before we want to move on to this section, I did want to bring up, I liked 
I liked when he, when Fitz was describing what he did over the years, that he did say he went back to Rolf and the other Old Blood uh, characters. One, because yeah. it, it literally explains what the end of the book, you know, what happens at the end of the book uh, with the hunting cat and the woman inside it. But I thought that was really interesting, uh, him learning more about the wit, him essentially being judged for the way he was witted, uh, with Rolf saying that you should not have witted Night Eyes. Like, that's, there's an imbalance there. Night Eyes was way younger than you. Yep. You know, it's, it's almost kind of predatory in their eyes, which I thought was kind of enlightening. Um, and just kind of learning, um, and, and him still feeling like an outsider, even with people that he, you know, have, have shares that same witted magic with, which would still, which would show itself again with the Bible, that's where he definitely feels <laughs> not like one of them. Uh, but I thought that was really vital to learn about that stuff and, um, and that whole like kind of click and group over there. Yeah, Hob definitely shows early on that the wit's going to be a big part of the book. Well, especially, I guess we should mention, Dutiful yep. has the wit and the skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's got to be a, a special combo, and we'll see if it's beneficial or detrimental. <laughs> well, I think one of the things... Definitely. Sorry. One of the things that... I, I know people adjust to Farseer in weird ways and find it difficult to adjust to. One of the things that was weird for me is just having fits be so... I guess just bad at the skill and the wit, or at least the utilization of it. <laughs> so and, bad. Yeah, he just stumbles through both, and that's kind of weird because you're you're used to like the the prodigy magic user as your main mm-hmm. character, and Fitz just, you know, both magics are dulled, and he is no real tutor for either. He makes so many mistakes with both. It, it's rough. It's really rough. I feel like most other protagonists would have read those skill scrolls and it would have been like, oh, I need to maintain my sense of self when I'm using the magic or else I'll get hurt. Yeah, And he's just like, oh, this is too hard to understand. Dive it makes no sense river. to me. Um, and I love how he gets blinding headaches from every use of magic mm-hmm. as a result. Mm-hmm. Was that a point in Farseer that he would get bad headaches? Yeah, I mean, he he drank the elf bark in Farseer to, to soothe right. the headaches, I believe. Yep, he, and he got seizures in Farseer as well. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, right. And Verity would have pains, but it, Verity seemed to be better at it, but still not great. It feels like his pains were so much worse in this book, because he spent so long away from yep. it or calling it. He was just kind of throwing himself in there, just kind of like, magic, happen now, please. Yeah. You're right. Like in other books of that magic style, there's like stepping stones of the character learning where Fitz was just continuously fumbling. <laughs> yeah. Which is probably more realistic if there was I, a magic I, system. He got more successes in this book than I think he had in the previous series combined. So it was satisfying, I think. <laughs> I did like in like the very first. Before, um, before we move on from the cottage, like the very first chapter, he like has a quote about. When he was 20, he thought being like in your 30s was like decrepit. And I was like, yeah. I've never felt, I've never agreed with something more. <laughs> and Hap is like 15, is like, you're an old man. <laughs> so do we know what age fits is? I, I think it's kind of like a vague thing. Like even when I went on the subreddit, 
I don't know. It's like 31. So you're saying young 30s, not mid-30s? I mean, it's definitely 15 years after Assassin's Quest. and I think think mid-30s. Maybe. I wouldn't peg him as 20 at the end of Assassin's Quest. I really wouldn't. Like, I would say oldest 17, but I think 15, 16 is more accurate. Okay. That's just me, though. So so he was 15, 15 or 16? Because I, I was thinking really? that, and I was like, yeah. he, did, he did make a baby with um, Ketrigan at the end of that, so I'm like a 16-year-old. I mean, yeah, but age possible. of physical maturity for that is, like, way too young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I guess young 30s. He sounds like he's, like, upper 40s. And knees are creaking, and, well, so are mine, so actually, never mind. All right, anything... Uh, Anything else you wanted to hit before he hits heads off on his journey to back to Buckkeep? No, we, we've been skating around, moving away from the cottage, so let's just go for it. I loved it so much. <laughs> All right, so he goes back to Buck, and he, he's essentially, well, first of all, his name is Tom Badgerlock which is a ridiculous name, but I feel like we should say that. That's his pseudonym he's been using all these years. Um, and he's essentially the playing the servant to the fool's lord golden because the fool's now nice and tan all that time on the ship i assume and um yeah he kind of goes undercover he has his own little spy headquarters with shade it's a little meeting room where he fumbles around in the dark and essentially this period is short time short-lived in buck where he's kind of just getting used yeah. to everything, seeing Ketrigan. Um, I thought that was kind of emotional, seeing Ketrigan for the first time it was. in forever. Um, getting Hap situated a little bit. But for the most part, I think it was a transition, transitionary period uh, until he goes on his quest. But yeah. what, did you, what did you like about that section of the book, being back in uh, Buck and everything? What about you, Kip? Another area that needed 15 years of development. <laughs> Uh, we got an expansion of the city borders. We got an increase in trade and prosperity for the city, which it frankly needed because last we saw it, it was almost destroyed. So it's nice to see that there's been 15 years of relative happiness and peace that uh, only has the minor problem of public lynchings all over the place. Shout out, shout out Ketrickin, great ruler. Great queen. Yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. Was that surprising to you that it seemed like hatred for the witted kind of skyrocketed in the last 15 no. years? No, it was never super low. So, <laughs> and the conflict between Regal and Fitz really amplified it. I think yep. it, it brought it into the public eye. Fitz is like the figurehead for all the stigma surrounding the wit and like Regal enhanced that with all his propaganda so it is ironic that Fitz is one of the main reasons why they're so ostracized, and he has to directly face that in this book. And the Red yeah. Ship Raiders uh, were another magical enemy, mm-hmm. and that would have probably terrified people of magic in general. Very true. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that um, with the Red Ship Raiders. But with like Regal, that, that's a good point too, because I think the Piebalds even say it to Fitz. Or the main one, the guy who rides witted to that horse, where he's like, Regal did some yep. bad stuff, and that's why we <laughs> literally hate the Farseers. And Fitz is like, yeah, oh, just another way 
regal screw. Yeah. <laughs> you know, affected this. this I mean, who's going to celebrate regal? It's not going to be the common people. <laughs> <laughs> what about. So I think the interesting part of this section of the book is kind of Fitz and his relationship with Chade or his getting back together with Chade. We see that Chade is what should be super old, but still kind of spry. He's clearly on some sort of good medicine. Um, but there are instances where his mind, his mind fails him a little bit, which gives um, its pause. Um, you know, where he's. I want to talk about that for one second, yeah, because the okay. idea, the idea of Fitz thinking in his head after a a minute of conversation with someone that oh. I'm mentally superior to this person and cannot trust what they say is so fits. <laughs> it was a leap. <laughs> uh, his hasty conclusions have not changed. I'll say that. Same old fits. God love him. Hasty um, and arrogant conclusions. Like I said, or like you said, Sean, Hob is so good with relationships. Like that's one of the strongest things about her. So, you know, just listening to Fitz and Chade talk in their secret lair or Chade's secret lair back and forth was, um, I don't know, it was, it was kind of invigorating. I, I could listen to him go back and forth and slip into his old mannerisms and then Fitz have to push back a little bit. Uh, I even liked it at the end kind of when he, Rescue's dutiful and shades, and and Fitz has that thing where he's like, you know, my loyalties with dutiful. Not I hate with, that. I hated that so much. I thought it was interesting because he, I don't know if it was the right decision, but he's essentially saying, I'm not going to tell I, my allegiance isn't to you, Chade. I don't have to tell you everything. It's to dutiful. Again, I don't know how smart that is, but I mean, yeah, right decision. But like, it's the exact same thing that Chade did with him with the shrewd test. And- <laughs> right. And Fitz, like, at no point is like, oh, this is... Fitz should just tell him. <laughs> like, I know, my loyalty is to Dutiful, not you. Don't have like, to test me his. again. But no, no, Fitz is too slow. Fitz is too slow. <laughs> uh, he's, been, he's been away from the game for 15 years. He's, he lives he's with the knife, rusty. but in, we're in his head, and he doesn't think it. No. <laughs> um... So I think that part was uh, that part was good. Oh, I guess we should talk about. So there's another character we meet, uh, Jenna, who is yeah. kind of like a charm maker. Or she has some witchcraft kind of magic, which is yeah, kind of interesting. Um, she she's a friend of Hap's, but happens to be more closer to Fitz's age. Uh, you know, Fitz let her bunks lets her bunk with him, and then she's letting Hap bunk with her at Bucktown. And I think it's this is important because this she gives him a charm that essentially makes people uh, friendlier towards Fitz because he has such a resting bee face, I guess. I and, so uh, a variation on a love charm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, which I loved. I was, he, he always seemed to like hide it a lot, where he didn't want people to. I would be. I know that that frustrated me in this book. I was like. Pull the charm out more. What are you doing? There were so many instances where if he had the charm out, it could have went so much better. He saw what it did to the fool. Uh, he did. Yeah. He, he wanted to make sure his love was pure. 
But it's like, yeah, I feel like that's just untrusting Fitz where he's always second guessing. Does this person really feel this way about me? It's like, who cares? Just let them see your charm so you can try to find dutiful. My God. Yeah. Um, but did she definitely like, was. Oh, did you like the clothing, which had a similar effect? His clothing? Yeah, when he when they dressed him up nice and pretty and oh, yeah. uh, the huntsman, was, the <laughs> huntmaster was like, hey, you clean up nice. <laughs> So that's that's a lesson everyone can get behind. Well fitted clothes can make anyone look, you know, decent. Yep, fact. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think you know, Jenna, because we met a few new characters, but I think Jimena, Jenna might be one of the more prominent ones, even though she's not in a whole lot. I think. Uh, well, I should say, even more important is we meet Jenna's cats, one yeah. of which is named Fennel, and I think it's uh, great cat name. Some, yeah, it's a great cat name. Also, really loved the way Hob wrote cats. It's about time she inserted some cats into this world. <laughs> I was I feel, <laughs> wait, is Anne McCaffrey coming to do the series? Was my literal thought. <laughs> she, I wonder if she's more of a dog person because she really made cats seem, well, maybe accurately selfish. And <laughs> um, but I thought they were very funny. Uh, Fennel yeah. was, but even the hunting cat and just Night Eyes revulsion with them. Yeah, I love when uh, Fitz says to Night Eyes, Burke never kept cats about the stable, and Night Eyes says he was wiser than either of us know. <laughs> Very dry, sarcastic joke from Night Eyes. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I, it, cat people versus dog people was an interesting part of the storyline. Yeah. yeah. Team cat. <laughs> Unless it's Night Eyes. Then, then Team Night Eyes always. I'm, I think we can definitively say, yeah, Nida's was was pretty baller, pretty awesome. Uh, and it really helped that every moment he was in this book after the choking incident was essentially borrowed time. Yes. Mm. That's right. He knew it. We knew it. Fitz refused to acknowledge it. Yep. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> so anyway, there's not much time there. We start the journey. I think this is where the book really ex- excels maybe is once okay. he starts oh good sorry i think it's important to also mention maybe, maybe it's not important i don't know i'm not an expert but fits this is where fits also gets his rundown on the dutiful situation yeah right right and he gets propelled in the direction of his errand um and there's a big mystery surrounding like why like is dutiful with him willingly or not mm-hmm. and that mystery is explored throughout a lot of the remainder of the book. Yep. And that mystery was pretty engaging to me, I think. Like the plot was basically the mystery surrounding his disappearance and just him trying to figure that out and like get in the direction of Dutiful. So yeah, like th- this whole time in Buckkeep, it's getting that rundown, the Jinnah stuff, and yeah, like a, a bit of conversation with Shade. Up until we get the first dream, which Fitz did not bring out more than a word from what was the first dream i don't even i don't gallatin know. right what? he just woke up screaming gallatin's knew where they were yep oh uh, oh yeah right so that, that was a skill link between him and beautiful yep okay yeah it's been a while <laughs> you're right that's a good point i mean that hob clearly i mean she could write a mystery book if she wanted to i thought that was really engaging trying to figure out okay did 
this young prince run away from did he run away was he kidnapped um and then mixed in with kind of fitz learning that he's both dutiful both has the wit and the skill yeah and he's with weight users and he's clearly know that and he he infers that he's bonded with an animal which he yes. finds right, right. a little odd um and we know that a prince maybe would try to flee their duties sure because he's supposed to be getting married to a Narcheska from a yep. different land. So so she kind of sets a stone where it's like, oh, he's just running away because he doesn't want to get married. And in the dreams, he's talking about, he's talking to this woman. Like Fitz can hear him talking to this woman who says he loves her. Uh, he would do anything for her. So I think that's where he's like, oh, he's been, he's fallen in love and run away. And I think it was, it's really like, did Kip, did you have any idea? That it was good, like that he was. What happened? Happened that, that he, he that he was being led on by an evil woman from the very right. first dream. Who would? Who would? <laughs> uh, but did you know, like he, the woman died in the cast. Yes, he, yes, I did. That's good because they do give you the clue in Ralph's. Yep. Again, they spellily spelled it out with the Ralph thing, where he said a woman died, went to the, a deer, and. Yep. You know, I just wasn't entirely sure which political side that person was on, mm-hmm. that dead woman was on. Right. Between I, what? I, I don't think it was ever fully made clear either. So. I think it's just a group of piebalds, right? I mean, it wasn't really. Yeah. Yeah. But there was like this fear in the beginning that like it was designed to cause specific problems at court. Uh, and it turns out, no, it, it was really just more of a. Uh, thing they needed in order to get this woman back into a human body that was the main goal it wasn't a political one right selfish person who wasn't ready to let go which is yep. you could say the same thing about fits in a way with night eyes yep uh, it's a big theme in this book so yeah that's a good point sean that there was a lot of catching up on what had happened and just really the introduction of dutiful i mean he clearly plays a big part in this book and the series and i like you know i don't know how much we want to talk about it too much but one of my favorite parts of getting back into fitz's life is kind of his role as a parent he's like a parental figure in theory to multiple people you know hap dutiful um his actual daughter nettle. via nettle via uh, molly and him um you know, so he, this role of responsibility he has, and, you know, he keeps telling himself that it's Verity's son, but with Dutiful, but we know biologically it's technically yeah. his son. He looks like a spitting image of young Fitz. Yeah, that was a good point in dramatic irony throughout, like, all of their interactions, really. Right. And so I just feel, you know, it's, it's just a great way of how creating drama and personal tension for Fitz for I mean this is obviously Fitz's books Farseer were Fitz's books like we're in it for Fitz and this there's this new wrinkle now that you know obviously he's been living alone and ignoring his old life but now he has literal children either adopted or biological that he's either ignoring failing or refusing to um, admit is his but still has this pull towards each of them in a way to to help them especially with dutiful you know and maybe night eyes 
being there was the reason why he was kind of dragging his feet? Just maybe. I think it was. <laughs> and I think that losing Night Eyes was required before Fifth could go back into any major form of civilization. Yeah. <clears throat> did we want to jump right into this Night Eyes stuff, or did you want to talk about anything before then? Or go back uh, to it? There is a scene I want. I want to talk about the Anti-Prophet. Oh, oh, yes. So you the, mean, yeah. the old rival? Yeah. Yeah, uh, how's this for fool backstory? Like, mm-hmm. there's the white prophet and the false white prophet. Yep. Mm-hmm. And what what kind of resources does the false white prophet have behind them in their changing of the world? And how have they convinced people that what they're doing is for the better? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on there? I, I there's more books in this universe. I know that, but. So I'm assuming some of this is going to get answered eventually. But uh, it makes the Fool a significantly more sympathetic character to know that like, they're not acknowledged because there's this imposter out there who's doing evil. Right. I, I think if, like you said, it fleshes the Fool out much more. I wouldn't even say... I feel like it leaves you as the reader even questioning if this is an imposter. I feel like the fool is even he's I feel like he's convincing himself that he's the real white prophet, but in the back of his head he's he has the sliver of worry that maybe him and Fitz aren't the actual catalyst. Oh, I um, think the fool worries about that all the time, and I think that's part of why the fool went down to Bingtown. Yes. Yes. He Yeah. Was. I think that's the main wrinkle that that adds there in that 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 being the f- having the fool doubting himself or doubting their self um because at least when i was reading it i was like okay they brought the dragons back in two different areas now the fool's having success here i don't doubt them being the white prophet or at least a white prophet i i granted that this false white prophet could maybe be a second white prophet or or did, did they did it mention that there can only be one that sounds familiar it, there can only be one yeah. Okay. Okay. So then which is, that, that which would not why be. True. I'm wondering if there's like a black prophet. <laughs> uh huh. But yeah. So I, I really never bought into, into the fool not being the true white prophet. I, I think the significance there was more so for uh, the fool's mental state and just having that doubt and watching that develop on the page, which which I think was a good addition to, to the book. But yeah. I think it humanizes them. I mean, up until then, well, not up until then. He's still humanized in other ways. But in the bigger picture, where this person is seemingly ageless, where it's like, you know, I'm choosing this path, but I'm not totally confident this is the right one. And you might. And we should say the only thing we know of the fool's goal as the prophet in this story is that he wants the farseer line to continue. Mm-hmm. That's that's all we know in this. He's like, you need either you need to survive fits or dutiful needs to survive. Right. Yep. So. Yeah, but that was uh, what. What is the other prophet's uh, catalyst name? Red. Oh, I don't know. Red Bo- Red Hook or something like that. Cable like, Rob Red. Yeah, Cable Rob Red or something like that. Something like that. Tony, some of these names. She's that. That's the catalyst. Yes, that's yeah. our other one's catalyst. Yep. So, um, so I do want to talk about a certain chapter and a certain scene. Uh, so they go on this journey. And 
they eventually get ambushed by this archer. And, you know, Fitz takes them down, easy peasy, no big deal. But essentially they go into this cave and Fitz tries to get information out of them and almost literally has like a violent mental break in torturing this person. Um, it scares Laurel. Obviously it scares the fool because he can't stop him. And it only takes, it's only by miraculous night eyes appearance out of the rain to calm him down and uh, get him out of essentially probably killing this boy to get information where beautiful is. And I thought that was really powerful, especially just night eyes kind of talking him down in that situation. Yeah. Uh, because like I said, like I said, he was, Fitz was in his head and you hear him about to beat this kid in his inner monologue. He's like, Chade, use me. Ketrigan, use me. I'm only here because they keep using me. A fool is using me. He lists these people. And then it's when night eyes kind of gets in his head and says, I'm coming that he, he kind of stops. Um, so I, I thought that was really powerful. It was one of the best scenes in the book, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, that's in the same like sequence where he says his inner assassin is telling him to kill everyone. Right. It was like, I was trying not to be like, wow, this is badass during this part because it's supposed to be scary and traumatizing. But then he drops a line like, this was a young man who had killed, but never before been in imminent danger of being killed. I felt oddly qualified to introduce him to that sensation. I'm like, all right, it's <laughs> do your thing. But yeah, Night Eyes had a lot of great lines in talking him down, though. Like, I was like, fantastic wolf, amazing wolf. Yep. Night Eyes, the therapist, was very strong in this book. Yeah. He even, he even said, he had a good line, man. I, th- I thought I wrote it down, but he's like, you know, remember what you take from him if you do this, the feeling of, you know, the act of being alive, you know just kind of the yep. stakes of what you do to kill someone. And that like gave him, gave Fitz pause. Um, yeah. I mean, he's night eyes was his conscience. He said, I thought we weren't going to kill for anything other than meat anymore. You know, all these things. And I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but him doing this is, I mean, it's clearly a direct kind of correlation to him being tortured as a kid uh, by Regal and his cronies. I mean, to me, it seems like he was becoming exactly what, the people who did this to him were much like uh, a certain character in live ship <laughs> did something horrible that was done to him. I feel like, yeah. Tom, yeah, I feel like Hobb goes through this motion over and over again of these damaged characters who are repeating or seem to repeat what happened to them. Yeah, that's a good point. And Shade told him, do what you think is best. Right. That was his like final and overriding order for everything. Do what you think is best. Which is vague and not helpful and clearly not a good <laughs> good advice to, to tell someone, Especially Fitz. I imagine him saying that and just like leaning back, putting his feet up on like a, a small table, just like, yeah, I'm helping. That's exactly <laughs> what I needed to say. Well he probably does. He loves Fitz. He loves Fitz. This is his def- graduation test. But he also sees him as a tool. I mean, I think he, that can be both. I think that's. I think he used to. I think yeah. he still does. I think. I think Chase, like Fitz said at the end of this book, I think Chase's biggest loyalty is to the crown. He wants dutiful back. Fitz is the best way to get that back. He loves Fitz, and he wants him to be happy. But more importantly, he wants dutiful back because he's the crown. And I, I think Fitz knows that deep down. It's traumatic <laughs> for him. 
I think he hopes that Fitz will respond to his manipulations, which are not really hidden manipulations. They're about as open as you can be from one spy master to his protege. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's all out there in the open and he hopes that Fitz will respond favorably to it, but he puts like, uh, not a hundred percent certainty in the idea that Fitz will be the one to carry on after him. You're right. He's, he's hopeful. And it is interesting to note that Chade admits he does have another protege who we do not know who it is. Yep. And, oh yeah. But he's definitely still yearning for Fitz to take over that mantle. For Skillmaster cool. at least. Yeah. Yeah. I would say both, but yeah, definitely. definitely and like o- overarching mentor. Sure. Yeah. King's man, as they call it. <laughs> yeah, I think Shade is fairly transparent with a lot of his doings, more than Fitz should expect. That's why I I, I don't berate Shade too much for a lot of what and, he does. And Fitz yeah. still doesn't get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Which is why I laugh so hard when Fitz is like, oh... I'm smarter than Jade. <laughs> it's like he's letting you think that. It's putting you in a position where you're able to think that. But if you wanted to, he can make you not think that. Yeah. Right. And I, I did feel that. I was always thinking whenever they were talking, I'm like, is Jade one up in Fitz? Or is he... Is Even he with perfect? memory lapses, he can do it. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Is he Because me- we're in Fitz's head. I was like, is it really a memory lapse? Or is he just doing that to see... I don't know, to put Fitz off guard or feel like he has upper hand. I feel like I was always on it. <laughs> I yeah. felt like the memory lapses were real. Me too. But even still, it's like, you know, even you still, mentioned, you mentioned before, Kip, like Fitz is coming to a conclusion there just on yep. a couple brain farts that are natural at an old age. But like, he's no, still... I don't remember who gave him the cat because I didn't know anything about the wit. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we meet the piebalds with Dutiful. I'll give you guys a choice. I'll give Sean, I'll give you the choice. All right. Do you want to talk about the group of the piebalds first and kind of dive into them? Or should we talk about Fitz and Dutiful skilling, using the stone to go to the beach from a live show? We absolutely need to talk about the stone and the beach. Good answer. Yep. I'm glad you gave me that choice. <laughs> I wasn't. I was going to take that choice anyway. So to escape from the piebalds, they find a uh, what is it called? A skilling stone. Travel yeah. stone. Travel stone. There and uh, you know the only way out is to touch. They touch it. Dutiful and fits, and they travel to the beach, leaving behind Night Eyes and the Fool, which yeah, was that, very powerful. Fitz did not want to yeah. do that. That was yep. a really big moment for him. I felt. Yeah, I think that's important to say. I think that was like it was a very tense and big decision there separating himself themselves from the rest so to be fair fitz thought he could immediately go right back because he is an optimistic man <laughs> it's only easy <laughs> days. Like, i'll be right back um uh, yes uh so yeah so they go and they end up in this ocean uh, in the water and they're kind of floundering around and they wash up on this beach and lo and behold we i think we all pretty much picked on it uh pretty quickly i loved when Fitz says there's this disgusting smell in the air, yep. and it's like his wolf senses pick up. I'm like, oh my god, these disgusting creatures again. How many times do I have to see them? 
what do we know? They waddle back and um, the Curse Shore. Curse Shore. So I think there's a few. I thought that was Far Island, right? Maybe actually, I don't know. Yeah, I remember. I remember reading as Curse Shore, but I think there's multiple I... names for it. Uh, well, I guess Curse Shore is part of the mainland where nothing lives. And specifically, you can find items there that are like relevant to your life. But don't they do that there? On the Treasure Shore, which is on Far Island, which is where the like outsiders live or whatever. It might not be Far Island. It might be Outside Island or something. But that's where the Treasure Shore is, and that's where you find items that are relevant to your fortune. Didn't didn't they do that, though? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, that's, yeah. Like, that, that, that's way out in the archipelago. Okay. Okay. That's uh, the cursed shore is specifically part of the mainland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Anyway, so they're at the island with treasures because they even pick something up, and the guy, the monsters, tell them to leave it there. It's like you can't take anything off this beach, just like the ones Kenneth had. Yep. In the beginning of uh, Ship of Magic. Anyway, so they meet those creatures. I think a lot of interesting things happen. Obviously, these creatures, seeing them again, and I thought it was interesting how kind of fits describe them I'd have, I, I meant to go back and look but i'm almost positive it's different than the way uh kenneth describes them or wintro described them because there's different they have different yeah. upbringing like like fits kind of described a more animal-like really compared it to something you might have seen in buck where i feel well, like fits also was able to raise the skill wall which prevented their glamour yes. from affecting him yes mm-hmm. got dutiful but yeah he that was good he quickly put it up yep uh, which is really interesting. Um, Dutiful loses himself in the skill, which is very uh, important. And Fitz yes. has to go get him. Yep. And then Fitz loses himself. And he's put together, very interesting, put together by something super powerful. It's like a... I wonder know, what. Uh, <laughs> I think can all the take others. It. Uh, who knows? I don't, don't know the answer. A dragon, maybe? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I came to the conclusion. <laughs> I I came to the conclusion that it was an elderling. That was Did you my guess. Come to the same conclusion at that point. I thought it was dragon. Well, dragons may I, they may I or may not be elderlings. The one surviving dragon is what I thought. I'll be uh, honest. What, I don't... What, what was her name? Tintaglia. Tintaglia. Yeah, I thought it might be Tintaglia. I don't. I don't think. I, I definitely didn't read as Tintaglia. No, t- that wasn't Tintaglia's tone. No, because yeah, you remember reading Tintaglia? She's more sassy and kind of like. And maybe it. a dragon god. Who knows? Yeah, it just felt more loving, kind of, where like put like this woman was putting kind of oh. a child back together. And, yeah, you know, the, like, the attitude didn't feel right for Tintaglia. If she yeah. would have needed to mature quite a bit more. Yeah. But I don't know. And the maybe there, maybe all- there are dragons that live in the skill after they die. That's essentially what I thought. Like, there's, mm-hmm. so th- they mention um, attracting others, and uh, yeah, so it seems like there's some sort of group or a society or consciousness that disappeared into the skill. Yep, that's definitely an interesting thing to theorize on based on the scene. In a place where you can only reach after you've severed your connection to your body. Or at yeah. least the fits could only reach. I'm curious if this is what they were reaching into when they were uh, bringing the stone dragons back to life. I wonder. I think uh, 
the other thing I liked out of this is the placement of the skilling stones. So this, so when they transported there, they had to wait till low tide essentially to get back. Yep. And what was interesting, he touched the wrong part of the skilling stone. So it took them <laughs> somewhere a completely different part of the world. Yep. And I liked Fitz's comment where it was kind of horrifying. You don't, you think like, oh, they can just go wherever. But what if he transported to somewhere that was buried under rock or was facing against, yep. it would have been, I guess, physics wise. Yeah. Squished, you know, absolutely. He's got a destiny. Spell. Right. Yeah. Obviously, destiny lets him end up okay. And we know yeah. the world has vastly changed since these stones were in place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the cataclysm mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever it's called, but the same reason why the serpents couldn't migrate back. So, yeah, they got lucky. Right. Right. Um, yeah, so I thought that was all kind of interesting, everything there. Dutiful um, was a bird in the whole time, by the way. I remember <laughs> laughing and being <laughs> so annoyed. Uh, yeah, he's essentially just dragging him around. And, uh, yeah. Like a limp body. I mean, he was a burden the whole time. Every time he was bonding with yep. or kid, uh, Fitz was trying to bond with him, he'd just reach out for his freaking cat the whole time. Like, oh my God, you idiot. Stop. And Fitz is constantly like, is this what I was like? Is this what I was like? <laughs> um, well, in a way, I mean, I liked learning about the wit that essentially Fitz has been. When they went to Ralph, he learned to kind of target his conversations with Night Eyes instead of their conversations yep. just being this whole, you know. Not uh, super great, though. They're yelling with Fitz. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But, but Dutiful's doing the same thing. He's pretty much projecting his whining yep. out to everyone. And his skilling. And his skilling, too, yes. All right, so we're, we're an hour in, and I think uh, we should get to the big big kahuna of this story so i yeah. think uh, i think everyone's it's weird to say favorite part but i think the most memorable part of fool's errand is that night eyes does indeed die he after fitz saves dutiful and um i guess just to say kills the animal that <laughs> dutiful is bonded to yeah dramatic for both of them um you know they go back and rest and sleep, I think, in a cave of some sort. And essentially, Night Eyes passes. Just he doesn't heroically die saving him. He does, you know, there's no sacrifice. Night Eye just, you think it's a dream, or Fitz does. And I think the way that was written was like one of the most beautiful things I've ever, I've ever read. Um, where it's just, I don't know. I, and then Fitz wakes to, essentially cutting cuddling night eyes in the rain as he gives his last breath and it was just an old old friend passing away and i thought that was like when you sean when you say this is one of your favorite books i was like i was shocked at first but i'm like yeah i mean this scene is probably one of the all-time scenes in the series so far for me what'd you guys think i describe it the same way as probably the most beautiful scene i've read ever so yeah, like I I don't need to say much more than that. Kip, were you ex- you're obviously expecting it. Were you expecting it in that manner? Did you think I you was not? It? I was expecting it to be significantly more violent, and this came as a uh, after all of the violent scenes that Night Eyes survived in this book. This seemed like a really peaceful and uh, 
I, I don't want to say like relieving, but there was relief associated with it. Yeah. Uh, really, a really tranquil death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I liked in the dream, and it, you know, I got misty eyed when Night Eye said, or Fitz says, "Hey, wait for me. I'll go. You know, we'll go hunting together." Night Eye says, "Wait for you? Not likely. I've always had to run ahead of you and show you the way." It's like, oh boy. I'm trying to get me going right now. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I thought it, like you said, I feel like everyone was expecting like a a violent death or a sacrificial death, and the way it was presented in this way was just even more bad. Because when the chapter's being written, it's not even. I can't stress enough. It just seems like they're having a dream together. It's not even. You're not even kind of led to believe he's about to die until it's like just a gradual like. Wait a second. He's kind of saying mopey things. He's, you know, inch by inch, you just kind of have this realization, like, oh, this is it. He's, you know, he's going. And then once when he says, you know, keep, he essentially says to Fitz, you know, keep changing, changer, you know, or you need time to change, change, time to change, time to change, changer. It's like, oh boy, great line. Yeah, classic. And um, yeah, it's incredible, and it's, and it's not like overly dramatic with Fitz. You know, like I said, he wakes up and he just cuddles yep. his dying best friend. He doesn't scream. He doesn't do like a Darth Vader no at the air or anything. And the next day he just wakes up in mourning. Like it's a regular day. And everyone keeps going about their business. They keep journeying back. They all give him space for the most part. And he grieves. I mean, he's he's clearly a different person now. And I thought, it's just so realistic. I, I don't know a better way to say that, but it's like that's how losing someone is a lot of the times where you're not the same. You people don't know what to say to you. The, the smart people like the fool give him space and try to console. You just, it's like you lost a limb. And I feel like that was really well portrayed with Fitz and every last, it's essentially kind of like an epilogue after night ice dies, you know, there's yeah. like, a, there's a striking similarity to the kind of like, peaceful and tranquil death that night eyes got to one that you would see as like an ideal case in hospice care Mm. and yeah there's going to be grief and there's going to be pain and loss but that night eyes lived a full life especially for a wolf uh and you have to wonder rolf and the other old bloods they criticized fitz so much for the deep sharing and the deep connection that he had with night eyes but as readers, we get a look into their relationship better than any of those old blood people could have. Do we think that it was too deep? Great point. Yeah, I think it, I think I think it was too deep, and I think they admit it's too deep. Night Eyes even says he's more human than he probably should be. He has more human characteristics, and same with Fitz. Yep. And Rolf's big thing is like, hey, well, one of you split and pass, it's not, it's going to be worse than it normally would be in a normal body. And he's like, I, you guys need to know that. And you're not taking any precautions or anything about that. It's like, nope, it's never going to happen. And But they know. didn't try and jump in. They didn't try and do the taboo. Oh, that's right. And that, might have, that was probably their main concern. Right. The, right. the temptation there. Like, I'm, I'm on I'm on Fitz's side, or I, I disagree with the piebalds. Maybe because 
you know, we've been in Fitz, Fitz's POV this whole time, but I love the relationship. I think it's largely healthy despite the crossover there. And I have no issues with how they did it. I think that the pie balls just are set in their ways and they just, they, they don't understand. I'm with you on that. I, I think that maybe it's best not to go so deep uh, from a safety standpoint on a pure numbers basis, but mm-hmm. I don't think that what Fitz and Night Eyes had is necessarily bad. Yeah. And it's, it was kind of necessary for Fitz. I mean, he had no one else by his own making. He wouldn't, he wouldn't let anyone else fully know him. So this is all he had, he had no other choice if he wanted to survive and depend on Night Eyes and fully you know, commit to this, this wall. And, um, you know, it's like you said, he lived a full life and I'm just glad. I think the biggest thing for me is I'm glad he didn't have like some sort of sacrificial death. Um, this was like a perfect way to go out that I would never expect. I didn't would have expected it in a million years and would have, it's like she gave us something we wanted, but didn't know we wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did yep. think it was going to be more of a, uh, book three or two thing within this trilogy. I, I did two in the first read. And then this read, I'm like, how did I not see it? It's as, like, yeah. as soon as I saw Fitz expressing so much dissatisfaction with his country lifestyle, I knew that it was going to happen this book. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I probably should. But then like, I think I, I probably had theorized at points that he would. But then, with how many injuries Night Eyes took, and he was bouncing back from, yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is just this is going on." <laughs> as it only did he's, he's, he's got like nine lives. Yeah. Do you think Night Eyes was trying to accelerate his death through that, through refusing mm-hmm. to get treated? Yeah, I, I think it's alluded to, like yep. why well, he kept eating the rotten fish, like he wanted to choke. I think he knew Fitz needed this. I think he knew. I think he saw this lifestyle. I think he just knew Fitz wasn't living a healthy lifestyle. And I think yep. every time he said, he said like, you know, Fitz would be like, after this, we'll do whatever you want. And Night Eyes is just like, I want to go back to our cabin and relax and stuff. I think he said that, but I think he knew that was, that wasn't going to happen. I think he knew he was at the end of his days and he was just, <laughs> I don't know. He wanted Fitz to move on. And I think he was worried about, I think the best way he knew how to do it was for him to not be around anymore. <laughs> I mean, he knew he was on borrowed time. I mean, Fitz does successfully give him some of his life force here, or life span. When? Uh, I have the note for chapter 20, or maybe he just offered. I'm not he sure. offered. Okay. Um, yeah. Offered and maybe, like, started trying to. But uh, or started, th- started thinking of it, and then I just got real mad. Yeah, <laughs> okay, okay. I guess, lastly, was that your favorite part of the book? Or no? Probably. I, I don't know. I don't... I don't. It's For a book like this, it's hard to have a favorite part. It, it was just yeah. great overall story and uh, just a way to, to have this death happen. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do... Let's say... Any last things you want to hit, and then we can go into questions from Discord. Does that sound good? Sounds good. I, was, I, was, I thought we weren't going to do them because it's been so long. I was going to say at the end that we just did no Discord questions. <laughs> I, <laughs> I meant to. Uh, well, I figured we could do them at the end. That way, we could hit anything 
we didn't get to and stuff like that. But. Yeah, I forgot up to like two minutes ago. I went to go look at them. I was like, ah, we didn't really cover some of these. No, but, uh, my favorite part of the book was uh, Fitz and the Fool uh, and their storytelling sections early on in the cottage. That was great. Nice. When Fitz said he went to Big Town, I was like, yes. That's yeah. Big Town and the anymore. Fool absolutely marking their territory by carving every inch of that cottage. <laughs> That's <right>. As far <laughs> as lingering thoughts, um, I think I think the Piebalds were a fine antagonistic group. I I just think that they went about influence dutiful terribly wrong. They could have like opened up his eyes to the beauty of the wit and made him have a healthy relationship. And then he could have been their champion. But instead, they try to manipulate him and just kind of control him. And that was their downfall. He's a like dirty they, first they, here. He doesn't deserve better. Like, they try to take over his body, essentially. <laughs> yep. That's not... He was so available for molding. Right. So impressionable. He was, he was all in on the wit. And they just... Yeah, it went about it terribly wrong. And, like, maybe I consider that a downfall of the book and, like, a slight gripe just because in my mind it's, like, almost unrealistic how dumb that was. But at the same time, like, it's a very minor thing. Well, I, like, I think Hobb made it clear that, first of all, Old Blood and Piebalds, while both witted, both have different Are different, outlooks. yeah. And I right, like I that forgot there was even a term, yeah. I mean, and also, that, even within that, it was just yes. really the one dude who yes. had a secret plan. Well, I mean, his sister. Yeah, so, she doesn't count as a person. No, it's true. She's a dead person. But <laughs> but you're right. Like even within that Bible group, people were uneasy about what they were doing. And multiple yeah. times, they could do the full book around, and you could see faces were like, "Oh, this is sketchy. Like we're not totally into this." It was it was a self, it was an act of selfish people, and it goes to show that people witted can be good, but also can be used for selfish reasons. I mean, it's it's they're complex. It's not. I actually make it. I thought it made it seem less black and white and less one note because of that. Because you're right, it could lean into kind of like this these one note villains like the piebalds. Uh but because they put in there that the faction it was factioned in itself. They were even saved by older piebalds, you know, Laura went and mm-hmm. fetched. Yep. They were. So no, they don't call themselves piebalds though. No, what they call right? them? they didn't say old blood though, right? They just they, said, they just said old blood. Yeah. Oh, they did. oh okay. So yeah. it was old old blood safe. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. There's like a bunch of old people, essentially. <laughs> Older wooded people. Um, I didn't think it was one note, though. It was just more so a lot of the plan that they ended up taking action with yeah. was just not well thought out. I thought it leaned one note at first, because I was like, all right, you got these evil piebalds. Once you know their plan, and they're just like, like you said, they're kind of deceive the prince. But yeah, I think and it I, leaned, it was more complex than it. They're a group on I, their back foot. We figured that out fairly early. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like you said, it was a, the one. The evil ones were a reaction of what Regal did, and yeah. there's there's lynchings everywhere. It's not like they don't have a right to hate beautiful. Absolutely not like they don't have a right, and absolutely not right. like they aren't a uh, metaphor for all sorts of activist minority groups. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing too. <laughs> I was like, that is the real world in a nutshell, right there. Yep. Yeah. Um, but again, Hob does it in a way that it's not in your face, so. And the last thing before questions, yeah. basically the last chapter, you see Fitz and Dutiful have a, a nice conversation coming to terms with their journey. And 
So you see that relationship take a corner. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, it's no coincidence that that happened after Night Eyes died, because Fitz is able to embrace this other side of his life now. So that's definitely a point to look at moving forward, how Fitz develops these new relationships, especially with Dutiful. Definitely keep an eye on those two. But also, those two are both grieving. They both literally lost two yep. wind pods. Um, and they yep. both are yearning for, I mean, definitely Dutiful, yearning for some sort of uh, comfort from someone. Well, Good thing he's betrothed. <laughs> <laughs> someone he's uh, never met. Hey, I do wonder if Cable Rawbread is. Uh, okay. We're going to find out that like they were the mastermind behind this Manchurian candidate scheme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Kip, anything, any characters, any plot devices, any just discussion you want to hit real quick before we get to questions? Um, there was some like Redwall level food description in this book, and I appreciated that. Pop does pretty well. Yeah, she does. Which one comes to mind first? Uh, the brandy. Uh, oh, yeah. But then also the feast that was set out at the first noble estate that they visited. Mm. I remember some stew. Am I am I wrong? There was some stew. Uh, there was also some burned stew that they had to just take the top off of <laughs> for their bowls. <laughs> Leave the scorched bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there there was there were some uh, nice descriptions of various like jellied livers and things. <laughs> yeah, it made me hungry from time to time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, <laughs> let's end it with some questions. We got some good ones. Let's start with Lady Sweden. All right, we talked about Lady Sweden. We talked about this a little bit, but. Maybe not as much as we could have. So she said, what are your thoughts on what we learned about the magic systems in this one? Is it clearer for you? And it kind of dovetails with Nat, where she said, what did you think of Hedge, uh, hedge, Witch, Mag- hedge Witch Magic? I guess what Janet is. Um, Kip, you're the ma- uh, magic okay, so expert. One of my immediate thoughts is I want to know if there's some sort of overarching magic system, which all of these people just have facets of, and maybe there's you can eventually gain most of if you're a dragon, for example. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to know what are the world building aspects of the skill. Is it actually a separate realm that's apart and separate uh, from the material plane? Does it truly have no conception of distance? Does it have no conception of time? How has this been used in the past? And how is it used presently, and how are our protagonists going to use it going forward? And I think so far, we've been able to see that Fitz has a unique ability to get closer into people's thoughts uh, via the skill, and then go into animals that are closer to them using the wit, and then go back through that with the skill into a person connected to that animal. So Fitz's ability to build a coherent chain out of something like that is definitely an increase over someone with only the wit or only the skill. And I want to see how that's going to affect the story going forward as he learns how to control his powers more. Very cool. Yeah, I um, I feel like I have a better grasp of it, the skill, than I did in Farseer. I feel like I had no idea what was going on for the most part, much like Fitz. Um, 
but I did a couple things that interest. I'm, I definitely gravitate, at least interest wise, in this to the skill reading about it because there's just so much we do not know. And as and Fitz now is the foremost person in the skill apparently, which is scary. <laughs> Since I thought it was funny how <laughs> he said by default. Yeah, I think I. I thought it was funny how he's like the only people who knew more were Galen and um, the Verity. ones who Verity, but and the and ones Kendall. well, and Galen, who did the coterie he trained? Yeah, but uh, they didn't seem like they actually knew much. They just seemed like they, they were, were vessels for thing. Galen. Yeah. yeah, but it was funny how Fitz was like, and I killed all them. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no. So I just feel like that's interesting that he's the foremost one. They keep bringing up this idea of a coterie. Coterie. Yep. Where, you know, a bunch of skill users form a group and kind of the idea that they can uh, communicate with each other with the skill and kind of, um, you know, just be more of a team with the skill and harness it. I think that's an interesting idea uh, that's non-existent now because there's so few people who have the skill. We know Fitz does. We know Dutiful does. Uh, I don't want to go into spoilers, but I think someone else we know does. Shade um, has it, partly at least. Yeah, someone else I'm thinking of. But uh, so, I think <laughs> oh, Nettle? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he dreamed with, he skilled dreamed he, with Nettle. He skills with Nettle. Yeah. Okay, he did. So, so Nettle, obviously, which is, um, I love Nettle. I can't wait. So, anyway, go ahead, Sean. Uh, yeah. So, I don't think we learned, I think we, we learned a little bit more of what the skill can do in this book. Fitz does a couple new things. I do find it interesting that we've gone this far in the series and there's still a lot of question marks surrounding it. But it, it, all, it, all question marks. Yeah, all <laughs> question marks. It does make it, it does increase my interest level of, of Realm of the Elderlings as a whole, which I enjoy. And it, does, it also helps that we took a three-book break where the skill and the wit were not even mentioned. Like The skill was like kind of alluded to when it comes to dragons. That's about it. And lastly on this question, I don't think I mentioned this before because... Like I said, the skill and the wit weren't relevant in live ship. But I'm curious how much Hob equates, and this is how I equate in my mind, skill equals like LSD acid and wit equals shrooms, I feel. What? <laughs> yeah. That in my like in my mind that's how it always that that's that relationship there where it's like more of an earthly relationship with nature and the other's kinda like psychedelic, crazy you know, extraterrestrial, higher plane type thing. I want. I wonder if she took any inspiration there. I mean, probably a little bit, but I kind of keep that thought in the back of my mind when I, as as I'm reading these scenes, just to kind of make sense of them. I suppose. Really hesitant to uh, divulge how much of my personal life I want to get into in that discussion, but yeah, um, I'm not admitting anything here. Yeah, no, of course not, but. Uh, that is interesting. I didn't think about that. That's um, I like. I did like the scene where Fitz, when he was talking about going to Big Town, and he could just like feel the magic emanating from that town, from the city. He's like, he couldn't like mm-hmm. pinpoint what kind of magic that was, but he's like, that's there's definitely something that kind of wasn't bad, but he no, uh, he he's bad magic Big Town. <laughs> he's, I he's, I he's like, I could never be comfortable there. Oh, that's true. He it's death that, magic. Yeah. On those boats. Oh, that's he did say that. Yeah, he was like it was a little unsettling, kind of. Yeah, the live ships when he saw that. Yeah, it's frustrating how separated this world is when there's so many 
interesting parts that could probably all aid each other. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, anything else? I'm interested to see new skill coteries being built with uh, Fitz as the leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Lady Sweden said, how has aging and development of Fitz affected how you feel about him as a character? Covered that this. one? Yeah, I guess we kind yeah. of talked about that in the beginning. Um, I, yeah. I'll just say I really feel like he was stunted. Yeah, I, I thought he would have very stunted. It did, his aging, he aged faster than he uh, matured, I guess, emotionally. All sources yeah. of stunt are now removed as of the end of this book. <laughs> I think they are, honestly. Yeah, but that's exciting as a, as a as a new reader going into except except uh, his like awkwardness with Molly and Birch. Oh yeah, the Molly stuff. You're right. Oh, yeah, we got. <laughs> Maybe one of these questions. Well, all right, here we go. That that dovetails in a good question from Nat. Did you miss anyone in particular in this book, considering so many previously important characters are only briefly mentioned appear? I have a big one for this. I wish Ketrickin had been there more, but she still seems to be useful off page and not yeah. useful on page. She she had a good scene, but yeah, it was only that one scene. But I thought that was just really powerful the reuniting with because she's in such a debt to fits uh, for everything um she, she seemed to get emotional seeing him again yep um but for this answer i mean come on it's got to be burrage right <laughs> i mean mm. we don't that's i guess you could say in molly too but that's the lingering no yeah that's like <laughs> no, no you really don't need. that's like the big missing, i feel like that's the big missing part of farseer from this this book uh is burrage you kind of get a little bit of a view into him with Fitz's skill uh, dreaming. He sees him a little bit with his children. He's got like eight children or something now. He's been busy. But um, or I have this yeah. crazy. I have this crazy fear that he's going to have to try and kill Fitz. Oh God! I think there's going into far going into Tawny Man. I think the Birch and Fitz relationship is something I most was excited to revisit um, because it was clearly left unsettled. Fitz did not tell Burge and Molly he was alive. He almost did. He went close enough to kind of spy on them and decided that it would ruin both of their lives. And he, another responsibility that he kind of shirked and decided, he decided it was better left that they do not know that he was alive. And yep. maybe that'll stay this way, this whole trilogy, maybe not. But I think if you're asking I, me a okay, I don't see how it can stay a secret with Nettle requiring skill tutorship. Yeah. Because they're, they're going to connect more, you would think. I, either he neglects his child again, or <laughs> he, he comes clean about being alive. Mm-hmm. Or he tries to maintain a charade, and then it fails eventually, and they find out he's alive. Mm-hmm. Did he stay Tom Badgerlock throughout the three books? What a name. I, I still can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> at one point in, in assassin's apprentice he goes by tom too or like tommy tom. oh does he so oh, yeah been a while. yeah it's like one of i think it's like one of his names before he's like officially declared as like a bastard to the farseer family it's my favorite part about hot books you have names like birch verity regal and then kyle yeah <laughs> tom. <laughs> it's like she switched to these like names that 
kid from 1998 was being named. Um, yeah, so anyone for you, I mean, Burrish for me was like far and away is like the missing piece. Kind of felt like when you watched, uh, I guess, spoilers for uh, The Force Awakens, but most of that movie doesn't have a very big character in it until the end. I kind of felt that way with Burrish. <laughs> Terrible comp. Probably terrible. <laughs> I, don't really, right, uh, I don't really have a good answer for this one though. Like, for one, it's hard to remember. It had the fool. The That's what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's my favorite hobby books. So I don't. I don't really. I didn't miss a whole lot going on here. So, Sean, do you have the questions up? Yeah. Nat's last question. Uh, would you rather? Should we rather talk about this at the a different point in these books? Because I'm not totally sure that this is. I want to talk about that. I don't know. Maybe. Sorry, uh, your eyes. I don't even know what they're referring to exactly. Right. I don't think so. <laughs> I'll ask this, Kip. What happened at the end of Assassin's Quest? Yeah, that's the part I'm not sure what they're referring to. I know what happens only because it's. I'll just say, going into it, do you remember what happens at the end? Of Assassin's I don't know what happens at the end of Assassin's Quest. Right. We're gonna hold. Uh, that. Sorry, all those books blend together. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's that's an important question, but I think we should hold it till later in the series. I'm gonna make yeah. a yes because it is a good question and it's it's like a really good question. Um, oh, this is a good one. So here. <clears throat> what was your reaction on returning to single perspective after reading live shit? Um, it went fast. It went faster. Yeah. Uh, I was always in Fitz's head and I knew what was coming. And although I was incredulous at 40% when we were still in the cottage, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. This is Fitz. This is the face. <laughs> it did go faster. Especially reading Dragon Keeper right now. And I know Dragon Keeper gets the slow so. reputation for other things, but it's bouncing through a lot of POVs, and each time it does that, it's like, reorient first, when the, when it's all fits, just like, go, go, go. I'll say yeah. that this book is only pseudo first, like, single-person perspective, because Fitz is in other people's heads so often. <laughs> all right. So, no, like, you still get bit. the illusion of multi-POV, even if it's not actually. Right. Yeah, because you could, you could essentially be in dutiful set for a portion of this book. Yeah. Plus, Hobb is so good at writing characters that I almost forget that it's all Fitz's POV. And we right. even get to be inside of Nettle's head for a bit. Mm. Oh, right, right, yeah. When she uh, has a fever. That is a uh, useful writing device with a skill. Then you can essentially it, just switch yeah. point of view, even though it's a. And we yeah. can check up on a five-year-old girl without having to have Fitz take a trip over to her place. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, yeah, it's it's not jarring. It's just kind of, it's she just seamlessly switches it. I mean, she's so good at both POVs, uh, multiple and single. But I will say, kind of to Sean's point. That I feel like live ship was so special with that, the multiple point of views and how everyone was so interesting, where that's honestly not the case in Rainbow. Even Wild, the serpents? Except the serpents. I okay. don't I don't I don't count them because they're only at the beginning and end of each book. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not the serpents. But everyone else. Every um you know, she it, 
I thought it was like kind of the perfect construction of the third person point of view in those that trilogy. Whereas Rain Wilds, it's um, a little clunkier, in it, uh, even though they're shorter books. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was good. I mean, it was just it was just good to be in Fitz's head again. And I don't know. It's I kind of seem like I think it's interesting when you go read these books. Like I can't imagine reading Farseer, and then a month later reading um, Tawny Man. I loved having this gap of a year or however long because it actually felt yeah. like I hadn't been with Fitz yeah. in a while. Yep, I did um, the same thing. And I feel like you'd lose that with reading it back to back or close to it, where it's like yeah. you know I was mm-hmm. just saw him as a kid. Uh, all right, let's see what else we got here. Do do. What is you? Was Fitz see talk about Nightingale's death? We already did. Uh, all right, we can double down these. What did you think of Hap? What do you think his purpose was, and was Starling different from what you expected? Not too like with Starling. We met. She was in Farsia, right? She was traveling with them. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, think she's vastly different from how her character is established in Farsia. I think. Yep. I think that's a more interesting question. A different book, hmm. but uh, I, I I think that her sexual nature is pretty on point for how she's established in Farseer. She's a minstrel. She she's a minstrel. I don't I don't think it's about her sexual nature that like really changes in this book because that's always been pretty obvious. But I think the difference was how she was willing to hurt Fitz hmm. and insult him and his life in order to get what she wanted that was the like reveal in this book absolutely mm. that was the big scene of hers is when she okay. kind of puts down hat and night eyes yep. and yeah yeah i just his... forgot sorry yeah and she like yeah and it kind of awoke fits to solidify solidified him of saying like, I'm like oh yeah the fool told me she doesn't yeah. love me. right <laughs> right Listen, the fool has been on that since day one. He's like, nah, this ain't good for you. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, that was actually one of my favorite scenes. It's just that, how much that hurt fits and kind of woke him up to his stupor, <laughs> with, you know, with Starling. Yeah. And Hap, you know, Hap is, um, you don't get too much of him. I think he's interesting in the sense that he's also a bastard or is alluded to be a Red Raider bastard. Yeah. Um, and I think Fitz sees a lot of, the, you know, sympathizes with that. And it's kind of one of the reasons he took him in. Um, it's definitely alluded to at the end that um, he might be having an adjustment period in Bucktown. That maybe his apprenticeship is going to be um, a little harder. And Fitz is going to have to be a more present parent yeah. in his life, which is, you know, We'll see how Fitz does with that. At the end of the book, he says he's just going to let him make mistakes. <laughs> Jim is like, do you think that's a good idea? He's like, nope. <laughs> no, let a kid be a kid. Um, I think that Hap is... Fitz was trying to force Hap into his normal, everyday, middle-of-nowhere life. Yes. And like try and do the things with him that he wished people had done with himself as a child. And just let him be ordinary yeah yeah and fitz has no idea what ordinary is like it was definitely to Hap's detriment i feel like yeah and that's kind of like with life sometimes 
things you want to do or don't want to do. You know, as a kid, there's things you don't want to do, whether your parents made you do it or whatever made you uncomfortable, pushes you to be a, I don't know, a better person, but more prepared for whatever your future entails. And I don't think, like you said, Fitz prepared Hat for any of that. No. Just had to make some runs to the town and hunt with night eyes. It's like, he's not going to be ready for young girls who are and like talking to him. His whole summer or harvest season that he spent out hi- hiring, he had no idea how to do it meaningfully, and he came back like dozens of pounds lighter. And with with not a lot of coin to show for it. And so like, oh, Fitz might have already been a couple years behind mm-hmm. where he needed to be if he wanted to successfully provide for this son that he had. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And with Hap, the biggest thing I notice, and it's like with it just compares to Dutiful Hap is uh Fitz sees another bastard, another person who was abandoned, and he sees that in his son. And his adopted son with dutiful he sees another he sees in him himself another person who is split between duty between the wit between being a prince he sees that he had the same he had the same thing between being witted and his allegiance to the king and so i think he's juggling these different parental relationships and he sees different things of himself and these kids and these are things that he hasn't fully learned how to deal with how is he supposed to Past they found to these kids, and I think that's the biggest, I guess, plot point with Hap or any of the any of his children. Uh, I'm sure there'll be something with Nettle too in that regard. No, uh, once a successful life for him, <laughs> right? Whatever that is, one that's not caught up in court politics or assassinations or writing histories of Buck. It's so funny. He's going to write a history of Buck. Um, well, but, hey, a lot of time on his hands. Okay, I think one more question. Um, and I'm not totally sure I have an answer for this, but maybe you guys do. Were any of Fitz's relationships from the previous trilogy recontextualized? Do you think you can answer that from just from this book so far? I mean, I can say that a lot of it was recontextualized in Live Ship. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, the fool might be the big answer here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the main one that you can point to for now. Um, I don't really think any of the others had any dialogue other than maybe Chade. Yeah, I was going to say Chade was the closest, but I kind of talked about him. But I think the fool, I mean, that whole conversation they had in the beginning of what the fool's real name is, and he said, you can just call me beloved. Yep. I mean, that. That stuff yep. wouldn't happen after until after live ship. I mean, so, you know, so <laughs> exactly. And I love how the fool knows that they can get away with that mm-hmm. because Fitz will not take it seriously because Fitz doesn't take anything seriously that doesn't <laughs> conform with his preconceived notions. So accurate, so accurate. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's the biggest one for me when I read this book. I was like. You know, there's a lot going on in this series. Like, she opened up, whether it's dutiful his children, the Night Eyes loss. But then going forward, I was like, the, the trilogy is called the Tawny Man Trilogy. The Fool is, and Fitz's relationship is, like, going to be front and center. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know. Oh, and, 
And I did really like the establishment of the fool as just canonically the most beautiful person in the kingdom. <laughs> Possibly the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lord Golden was scandalous in this one. He's oh yeah, kissing a boy. <laughs> <laughs> on the cheek. <laughs> on the hand. On the hand. On the hand. <laughs> oh my god. So... Yeah, and Fitz is like, yeah, that's what Fitz was like. He's like, oh my god, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no. um, yeah, something to keep an eye on. All right, I think we did it. I think we um, we did it. Man, that's almost two hours on Fool's Errand. It's good to be back. I mean, no yeah. less. Hob deserves no less. Let's let let Kip make a prediction or two, and then get out of here. Oh yeah, a couple of people asked for predictions. Um, sorry. Uh, I'm gonna say that the fool kisses a boy again. Oh. Okay. Uh, possibly fits. Who knows? Maybe. I was gonna ask if he would. Come. Um, that might be a book three thing, but <laughs> I can predict far in advance. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, book two, I'm going to say, is about the political factions that were involved in uh, the witted versus non-witted people in this land. Okay. I'm going to say that there's a play for the throne again, and I'm going to say that we meet more of the queen to be, which I'm very excited to do because it would be nice to have another competent person in the room sometimes. So she, they say she's supposed to be eleven. Somebody said, "Yeah, eleven, and That's she's going to put all of these old men to shame." <laughs> I, uh, Kip, you're always good with predictions. We all know that. <laughs> I won't comment on any of them, but yeah. All right. So that's it. That's Fool's Errand, book one of Tawny Man. Um, you know, I want to thank Craig for letting us do this, uh, Horizon Brave for starting it. And I always forget to say this at the top, but I hope people go and join uh, the Legendarium's Discord. That's where we're all chatting about these books, uh, giving updates. You can ask questions, interact with us. Um, and it's, it's just a really fun community that I met these two awesome guys and uh, fellow Hob lovers. So come hang out with us and uh, we'll see you next time when we do the entirety of whatever the second book in the Golden Fool. Golden Fool. Uh, uh, Golden Fool, which is um, it's awesome. I can't wait. So thank you for Sean and Kip Dan. I'm Yeti Beats and we'll see you next time. Until next time. One more prediction. Uh, Fitz bonds something that flies. Cut, for editing, cut it just like as as Kip say, says flies. Episode. <laughs> <laughs>